The following podcast may contain strong language and adult themes and is therefore entirely suitable for Danes of all ages. This is English for Danes. Daisies blooming Sundress swaying in the breeze I can't stop staring You've put a spell on me Hello, here's a story. Little Jens battled his way out into the world. A new day, a new Dane. He slowly opened his eyes on his mother's chest. His proud dad was there, already dressed for his run. He was soon off. When he returned, he held little Jens while mum greeted the sun and made strange shapes with her body. Danish family life had begun. In his first months, Jens got plenty of attention. His mum and dad were always around, and however much Jens loved this, he often wondered, haven't they got a job to go to? He was taken to meet other little blonde people while his mother chatted with other mothers. Sometimes this was in cafes, and little Jens stayed outside in his pram. When he couldn't sleep, he'd join his mother and his baby mates for a contented time sucking on their mother's breast warts. When Jens was twelve months, his cosy home time was over. Time to go out into the big wide world. He started Vogustu and spent his days in hot-as-hell rooms being read stories about dead mothers with others struggling with their bowels, or he was plopped outside, even when it was cold and a penguin's arse, snugly wrapped up in an all-in-one suit, eating soil. The Vogustu would take them on trips in four-seater prams, which were fun, but not as fun as being whipped round the lakes in three-wheeler running prams by his parents. He also went to baby swimming, and spent an eternity in playgrounds, ignoring the pained faces of his parents who wished they were anywhere else. He also went on lots of holidays. On one such trip, to New York, his poor mother was arrested for leaving him outside a cafe. As Yen said to the policeman, Do toading fucking tea. Yeah, it's cold. Like all Danish kids, after more and far, Jens's third word was fuck. He used it as often as he could. When Jens was approaching three, he moved to a forest burner hill. He couldn't understand why his parents were stressed every morning trying to get to the bus on time, and when there he could do whatever he wanted. It was great climbing trees, sliding in mud, finding sticks to cook snowball over a fire. His mother always greeted him with a big smile and a delicate hug, wary of not getting his layers of dirt all over her. Jens's mother had put Jens on a waiting list for a nearby Bernhale. The morning rush was too much. It wasn't so wild, but there was a huge sandpit to explore and go-karts to race around in, so still plenty of trips to hospitals skaters to. It was during these years that Jens was nourished with the Danish way and the delights of Danish lunch, rubel with soft, deathly grey liver pate. As Jens entered puberty, he wondered why he was still spending his days sitting in a sandpit. Jens was told he had to master how to calmly sit on a chair. 
This skill takes years to learn in Denmark. Look, I know how fucking to sit in a chair. Thank you fuck very much. Like many Danes, Jens struggles where to place his favourite word. But he'd already joined the local football club and the handball club. Jens loved to be in goal at handball. He could jump around like a starfish and have hard objects smashed into his face. Little Jens, the little Viking. What on earth was that all about? Denmark, as we are often reminded, is a great place to bring up a child. Unlike in less developed countries, i.e. the world, parents don't have to mortgage their home to provide childcare. Daycare is state-subsidised to 75%, and even cheaper for siblings. And they get a generous family allowance, regardless of income, generous parental leave for both sexes, child sick days, and, if you can bear the sight of your kids climbing trees, there is little to fear from anyone or anything. It may be cold and dark for half the year, but Danes love the outdoors, and they love their kids to be outdoors, as we all do, especially in these times of screen addiction. Danes have a mantra, there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. So they kit up, zip up, and embrace the weather. Or in the case of winter bathing, unzip, kit off, and embrace the unembraceable. They're a hardy bunch, and, in this sense, are very Viking. In the last pod, I stated that Denmark has a healthy democracy and a relatively healthy economy. But what about the health of the Danes themselves? Here I am at the lakes again. Round and round they go. Sporty types, looking majestic, race along, checking their watches. Large groups, of all shapes and sizes, follow the club leader. Two-week-old babies are pushed along in their three-wheelers by their mothers seeking instant flat stomach. The elderly stomp along with poles and gritty determination, and some comic-type speed walk. In the summer, 125,000 people get together with their colleagues in Fellerparken for the DHL 5km relay. 125,000. When discussing Dane's obsession with running in class one day, one student told me, Sometimes I run alone so I can feel myself. It's the job of a teacher to help with a confusing message. But sometimes you think the world would be a better place were it left untouched. I'll let this one go. Another I let go was while I was sitting at the lakes one day. A Dane walked up to me and asked, Are you well known in the area? I was about to give her my autograph, but for once chose to put irony to one side and asked where she was trying to find. The question should have been, do you know the area well? Danes cycle en masse. They fit in a trip to the fitness centre before work. They love a good yoga or spinning class. Spend the weekends walking in parks and forests. Love a bit of kayaking, paddleboarding and windsurfing. Are members of sports clubs. Have icy dips in winter. And spend as much time as they can outdoors. But are they healthy? Well, yes, but only if we ignore smoking, drinking, and consuming mountains of sweets and pastries. And I'm not going to ignore these. Smoking. The Danish authorities are gradually cracking down on smoking. Fags are still relatively affordable, especially compared to the UK, but the outside of commune offices are now smoke-free zones, and smokers are directed to designated areas as such places as theme parks. 
Strangely, you can still see smokers puffing their way on fags in smoking zones outside hospitals, even with various medical equipment attached. I remember hearing Danes proudly declare when the Swedes banned smoking in bars and restaurants. That wouldn't happen here. We respect an individual's rights more than they do. It wasn't long before the Danes adopted the same ban, though they introduced a bizarre rule, which still exists, that smoking would be allowed in bars smaller than 40 square metres. These bars instantly became a no-go for non-smokers, as the air was thick with smoke, and even many smokers thought it unbearable. But such a compromised law allows Danes to keep considering themselves the Latins of the North, especially compared to their, according to Danes, stiff, fun-free neighbours. Smoking has reduced considerably, though there are still huge numbers of social smokers. We babysat at a friend's the other day. Once I'd finished going through their underwear drawer, I looked at what games they had. Oh, trivial pursuit for juniors. As we had our kids with us, I opened it up and looked at the first card. The first question I read, because it was shorter than the first question on the card, was, What colour is a packet of prints? Brilliant. So even a kid was expected to know the colour of cigarette packets. On a less amusing note, Danish women have the highest rate of lung cancer in Europe, and Denmark also leads the way for cancers as a whole. I did mention Denmark was top for everything. So smoking is becoming more taboo, but alcohol isn't. Danes enjoy a beer, and why not? Denmark is home to Carlsberg, Tuborg and many microbreweries. The shy Danes are much more Latin-like when tanked up on alcohol. But is there an alcohol problem? I did write, there's a fair number of alcoholics. But Christine says, huge, rather than fair. I bow to her wisdom. These often populate the so-called brown bars, where you'll find Mr and Mrs Beaudegard. I then wrote, Danes don't get wrecked in bars, become aggressive and attack each other for no apparent reason. Really? says my editor-in-chief. Oh well, it seems I don't get out enough. In the summer months, Danes hang out in parks and on the waterfront with cans of beer. It's all very hoogly. I used to kayak on the harbour with a mate, a couple of cans on board for relaxing beer while bobbing up and down. There are two aspects of Danish drinking I'm less enthused about. The start age and the school graduation madness. For both, Danish parents really don't seem to share my concerns. Regarding start age, the defence always seems to be, well, we started at eight, we can hardly tell them not to. Odd, it's like saying, I used to tie fireworks to a cat's tail, so... Okay, not eight, but way before focus school is over. Fourteen? Is that okay? Of course, it depends on the child. Schools invite parents into a meeting to discuss alcohol issues and what the class policy should be. Opinions differ. When kids finish school, at 16, they have a party. I believe our planned affair is, in theory, alcohol-free, but I won't hold my breath. Some friends' class organised a party bus. What is a party bus? You drive around town, in the back of a bus with blacked-out windows, dancing away and getting smashed. When kids finish gymnasium, our sixth form, or at least our old sixth form, they go nuts. It's a sight to behold. 
each class of graduates pile onto an open-top truck, crank up the music, and drive around whooping and screaming, utterly shit-faced, waving at everyone who couldn't make it down the nearest side street quick enough. They visit each graduate's home, where they get more drink, until they end up at the last lucky parents, where they throw up everywhere and pass out. It's beyond me anyone volunteers to be the last house. It won't surprise you that Denmark has Europe's heaviest teenage drinkers, by quite a way. Another top. Our son's not begun his beer adventure yet, but he's still under the influence of alcohol. The other week he was off to a friend's house on Tuborgvai, but typed the wrong beer in his app and got the bus towards New Carlsbergvai instead, the opposite direction. We live and learn. And then there's the mountain of sweets and pastries. Danes are very proud of Noma and geranium and the whole Nordic food scene, and it's pretty impressive that they always come top of the Michelin Awards, if, if I have that right. They're also pretty proud of their rubral and healthy seed-filled breakfasts. I've sadly failed to integrate much of this. I haven't been to Noma. I'm not a fan of rubral, although I've advanced from the bleached white bread. I still prefer a bowl of Frosties to skewer, and I still add both milk and sugar to my coffee. Scandalously primitive here. On my mum's last trip to Copenhagen, we ended up at one of those ridiculously priced, authentically Danish restaurants in Newhoun. She couldn't walk, so I had little choice. It'll be fine, she said. What do they have? I translated the menu one by one. Herring with this, herring with that. Bless her, she was in hysterics. Now this isn't a slamming of Danish food, even if it sounds like it. And I really do like herring, whatever it's served in. English food isn't exactly well known for its sophistication. We freeze everything, and the national dish is an import, curry. It used to be fish and chips, but the Danes stole all our fish. Christine went on language course to England back in the day, staying with an English family. Every day her packed lunch was the same. Bleached white bread sandwiches, a packet of crisps, and a chocolate bar. Healthy, it was not. One worth remembering here, Food that tastes good is tasty, not tasteful. It may be full of taste, but it's still tasty. Tasteful is used to describe style. The way Danes furnish their homes is very tasteful. So a tasty meal in tasteful surroundings. For a lack of taste, we say tasteless, whether describing food or style or a tasteless joke or comment, which Christine typically suggests I remove. Someone who will remain nameless once said, I thought it would be nice for once to have a soup that looks well and tastes well. Food doesn't look or taste well. Food looks or tastes good and smells good. On the subject of soup, when my brother first visited us in Denmark, Christine got a bit panicky about making something vegetarian. In the end, she served lentil soup, but forgot to put in the lentils. Hello, dear. Rubral. And it's got too many Danish R's in that word. Anyway, the rye bread and its healthy friends are balanced out by Danes' fondness of pizza, kebab, pulsa and burgers. Danish pastries are pretty darn good. Canelsnail and Baker's Bad Eye being particular favourites. 
but whereas I can happily pile through a Maribo, I simply have no interest in the uninteresting jelly packets Haribo filled Danes with. Then there's the salted licorice. It's rare to find a Brit who shows anything like a Dane's enthusiasm for this, and it's everywhere. It appears anything can be coated in salted licorice. I remember a wedding where the dessert came. I thought, ooh, looks good. Then the chef did that thing where he feels it necessary to describe in great detail what that thing on your plate is. He explained. Oh, licorice. I'm never convinced this explanation is a good idea. Somewhat like it. But I really don't care if the carrot has been tickled for ten minutes before being marinated for four hours, before being steamed, blanched, fried and roasted. It's still a bloody carrot. My pet hate is Friday Slick. Every Friday kids around Denmark expect and get a bowl of sweets to work through while watching Disney Show, an hour of Disney cartoons from 7 to 8pm. I used to reluctantly go with the kids to the corner shop so they could spend forever choosing their favourites from the pick and mix. I watched other parents there. They were far more patient and far more engaged in this selection. I thought and said, Oh, come on. Whenever sweets were bought for them and shared out, arguments broke out, every time. On occasions I would lose it and announce, Right, this is the last time you get Friday Slick. Christine would look at me unimpressed and sigh. This was a right in Denmark. Kids are entitled to fill their faces with sweets on Fridays. In my battle with the Danish way, there is only one winner. I resigned from Friday Slick relatively early. Mum could deal with the buying and the arguments. I just growled in the corner. If Danes can consider themselves the happiest, let's say most content, people on earth, according to surveys, while having the highest antidepressant use in Europe, I don't think a fondness for beer, fags and Haribo should detract from their healthy image either. Before a final comment, I have shamefully neglected the vaguely educational element of these pods, so I'll throw in a couple. Let's take the Danish words ökonomisk and show, as in Disney show. I admit I always thought it was Disney show as in showtime, not show as in fun. Ökonomisk and show each have two translations in English, economic and economical, fun and funny. Economic means financial, as in economic policies and the economic situation. Economical has the idea of saving money. We need to be more economical. An economical car goes further on a litre of petrol. If something is fun, it's enjoyable. We had a fun time at the party. Funny is either funny ha-ha or funny strange. He's a funny man means he's either a bit weird or he makes you laugh. Other common words where Danes have one word for our two. Lea, learn and teach. I teach Danes English, and occasionally they learn something. Fuya, if you are fired from a job, you did something wrong. Maybe you stole something, or groped an intern at Julefrokost. If you lose your job because of financial cutbacks, you are laid off or made redundant, not fired. Danes always say, I was fired from my last job. A Brit would think, Oh, I wonder what they did. Moolyhill. 
possibility and opportunity. An opportunity is something positive. Something requires action from you to not miss out on it. Maybe you've spotted a new job or business opportunity. A possibility is out of your control. There's a possibility the war in Ukraine will continue for another year. That's not an opportunity, unless you're an energy supplier. Loaner. Borrow and lend. I go to the bank to borrow money. The bank lends me the money. Borrow something from someone. Can I borrow your bike? Lend something to someone. I'll lend you my bike if you say please. Historia. History and story. Everyone tells stories about their family, their holiday, their trip to Noma. The story could also be about history. Effective. Efficient and effective. If something or someone is effective, they make an impact. The emphasis is on the result. Doubling the price of cigarettes would be an effective way of reducing smoking. Efficient looks more at the process. An efficient way of doing something doesn't waste time, money, effort. We need to be more efficient, a British boss will say on a daily basis. A word on the F word. I was introduced to the Danes' love and overuse of the F word on my very first night in Denmark. I guess it was a Saturday as my priority was to find a pub showing the Liverpool game. The two of the British lads I shared an apartment with had a bizarre lack of interest in football. Both were surfers. And they'd chosen Denmark. Anyway, I wandered out and found a pub opposite Tivoli. Not long into the game, the middle-aged Dane next to me screamed out, Other side, you fucker! I'm not allergic to swear words, but I was a bit surprised. Looking back, this first example of a Dane speaking English says a few things. One, Danes are good at English. It was a short, but pleasingly, a grammatically correct sentence. Two, Danes like to speak English. I don't know if this outburst was for my benefit, but I think it was. Three, Danes like to use the F word a lot. Was the F word necessary? Was it a misconceived effort to be more British? So began my time in Denmark of sitting in cafes, and hearing the F-word liberally thrown in amongst Danish conversations. In return, I learnt my first Danish word, and I've been saying it ever since while watching football. Nay! The F-word seems to have taken over from pretty much all other Danish swear words. But a word of warning. I feel it my civic duty to point out that the F-word isn't as acceptable as Danes like to think. I haven't hung around outside British schools documenting how much it is used. I'd be arrested. But on my trips to the homeland, I don't hear it much. And it's certainly not used, in my earshot, by my younger relatives. So if you plan on taking your kids to the UK, or they're going on a school trip, it's wise to inform them that, Hey old lady, love your fucking flowers, wouldn't be particularly appreciated. Last month, the school gave my kids two books to read. One called Fucking for Elskett, Fucking in Love, the other called Twenty One Ways to Die. In both, the main characters already had a dead mother. My kids are teenagers now, but the themes of loss and a not-so-easy upbringing fill Danish children's books. 
This is in stark contrast with their happy cartoon children's books that I would bring back from the UK. The dominant name of UK children's literature is Julia Donaldson. We have many of them, and our kids love them. They're all based around animals. Kids shouldn't be exposed to human sadness and suffering, apparently. And they're all written in verse, so lots of rhyming. Mouse, house, mole, hole, cheese, knees, etc. But Julia hasn't written a book specifically for the Danish market, and I think she's missing a golden opportunity. It could be about a duck, without much luck, whose friends suck, and whose mum was killed by a truck. Bestseller. You're welcome, Julia. Cheers. <laughs>